0: And welcome to The Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3 FM. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Euroa Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney View. I'm your guest host, Peter Holden. I'm filling in for Fifi Lamb, and joining us this week...
1: Emma Phillips here coming to you from Ngunnawal land.
0: Coach Kiwi coming to you from Young land this week.
2: And Tracy Kick coming to you from Ngunnawal
3: land.
0: Having a look at this week's show, we're going to be talking about cricket wickets. Even though this is a footy show, do follow us. We're also going to be talking about some of the umpires' decisions, the Press Parkers' Cup. But first, Emma, we need to talk about the thing that everyone's been talking about for the last two and a bit years covid and it has already had an impact now on the aflw season
1: it's funny isn't it don't you wish every week we talk footy and we think is there a way to avoid talking about covid as my mate's talking about sport in all kinds of ways and we think can we avoid talking about covid and no here we are because we really can't avoid talking about it because it is having such impact and every week goes by it seems to change so we never really have to talk about this um uh, look, you know, we, we have the impact of the two Western Australian teams coming across, and they are, are based in Melbourne until it's another three weeks they're there. Or is it two more weeks? What happens after that? We're not sure. And obviously, we have the issue of the Brisbane and Bulldogs game having been deferred. So at the moment, it feels like Everything is manageable. I wonder what happens, though, when one or two more games suddenly have to be deferred and we're looking at, you know, games midweek. I know the AFL talked about that before the season started. Perhaps there was a chance of playing two or three games a week, even just to get the season finished. And that's looking more and more likely, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, the flip side of um, having these COVID adjustments to the fixture list is um, it throws up The Geelong Carlton game, which was not scheduled for the season, so that's kind of a good thing. But um, I guess the worry is, as a coach or um, you know, the strength and conditioning team, is losing that regular games. So you know, now Bulldogs and Brisbane Lions, although they've got a bunch of their players and staff out with COVID, they're also now one week without a match. So um, how will they come back match fit? You know, right at the beginning of the season, all those kind of challenges as well. Um, throw yeah. some of your plans out of it, Kiwi. I think the un-
3: unpredictability of of week to week. So, you know, you might be making five, six, seven changes, bringing train on squad players into the. You know that it is a coaching challenge for sure, um, because you know you need to adjust your game plans, and some people are having to adjust their game plans at the last minute when games are, um, you know being adjusted. But I think the other thing is that, you know, will it work in favour of some teams, Um, you know, in terms of Brisbane not having um, had to play the Bulldogs yet? Does that mean, you know, that maybe Dakota Davidson will be back, you know, by the time that round is, that is fixtured. And that's just one example. Are there going to be lots of examples where teams have been COVID hit and maybe lost, you know, critical key um, positional players and, you know, what's that impact going to be? I think it throws the season into kind of even more, you know, just more questions around it's going to be very hard to predict um, how teams are going to perform, I think. Although I think there's some pretty early signs from
2: this week. Well, also, um, it means also Frio and West Coast Eagles now for the next four weeks are like full-time athletes. So the extra advantages they get by being in camp together, the extra things they're able to do, um, even though supposedly it's not contracted hours, but they are all together. So do they have a distinct advantage over what other teams are going to be able to do while they're participating in their full-time jobs?
3: Although Kiwi didn't, GWS have... Excuse me, four weeks or well, three or four weeks together at the start of uh, 2021 season. So, but I I see what you're saying. I think there is a real benefit in teams hubbing together, and you know, in terms of how they how they gel and connect, and and then what they're able to do from a training perspective without the interference. I don't know. Will some people be working remotely? I'd imagine they would be.
0: We had some players come back from missing round one through COVID. And of course, obviously, there's going to be a large number of Bulldogs and Lions come back for, for, for round three after their games were cancelled. I want to pick up one, though. For example, Emma Carney has come back, second most disposals for North Melbourne in their loss against Adelaide with 23 touches, but played a role behind the ball and a number of times missed her target. Now, for all of you to put on your coaches' hats for the moment... When we consider COVID, this is not just coming back from the cold. And we've all been talked about the the issues of long COVID. Is a player coming back from COVID something where you may be more hesitant to bring them back to 100% of their former role and maybe have to rotate them constantly or put them in a different position, knowing that not only do they have their fitness, can they breathe, can they get through what they normally would in a game, but also what are the mental impacts of COVID? Is their decision-making and reaction time sound as it was previously?
1: I think you raise a really good point here, Peter, and there's a little bit of research that's being done in the States at the moment. I think it's on football players. And obviously all this kind of research is in its very early days, but there has been some suggestion that the skills have dropped. So, clearly they can measure lung capacity and that kind of thing. And where that's been okay for players who have had COVID coming back to play, seems like things are going to go all right, but their skills have actually dropped reasonably substantially. So, again, very early days on that sort of research, and we clearly don't have that here, whether we will, uh, but we can watch it, you know, as commentators of the game, we can watch this kind of thing. No doubt coaching staff will be checking out for such things, but I think it's a really good point to raise. I'm keen to hear from Tracy and Kiwi on this too, because both coaching obviously will be checking into players' fitness, and we know that players don't always tell us the honest truth about where they're at too, so it's something to watch carefully.
3: I think you're spot on. I think players will be keen to get back out there, especially if they've seemingly only had fairly mild symptoms, which, of course, with Omicron, a lot of people are reporting. Um, But from... um, you know, some, from some reports, the fatigue associated with Omicron is still very real. So, um, you know, trying to rush players back in so you've got your best side to meet the next week. You know, will that will that be a really strong consideration, uh, especially if players are reporting that they feel good or pass fitness tests or whatever keyword.
2: Yeah, it, um, it actually did look like Emma Carney played a little bit from the half-back line too that we don't normally see in a game. So whether they were looking after her in that regard as well. Um, Bree Davy in her interview at half-time mentioned about Chloe Malloy needed one more day, then she was potentially available for selection. So um, just needed the extra bit um, to pass the health test, I guess. Um, I've seen it with a couple of our young players um, in the NAB League where you know, elite runners can't bounce back and run as elite as they did. And this is even a month after they had COVID. So, um, you know, unfortunately for the AFRW, they don't have a month to um, take off and, and get back. So it is it is some tough, challenging times for sure.
0: From the fitness of the players to the fitness of the grounds. And I was watching social media and Coach Kiwi pointed it out straight away. What's the deal with the cricket pitches?
2: Hey, look, you know, anyone who's been down to Victoria Park knows there's holes that the dogs dig up. But in the weekend, it looked like someone had dropped in a cricket pitch. It, I don't know if it's running the opposite direction to, well, it depends what sort of boundary you want to hit when you're um, at one end of the, of the wicket. But, there, but um, you know, definitely I question how safe it is, whether they've just patched the field or are they now using this traditional football field as um, as a backup cricket pitch as well, and um, GMHBA Stadium out at Geelong, they also had a cricket pitch put in, which I think, as Emma found out, was for a BBL game.
1: Or the potential for, I think, the BBL game. I and mean, I'm, I'm sort of having a, a mild giggle here, Kerry, thinking about the days, and you'll have done this too, where we played on ovals that had the synthetic cricket pitch right through the middle. You know, just <laughs> sort of skate across it with your boots. <laughs> Nothing like that, of course, going on here. But look, I don't, I don't think we know the entirety of this story. But uh, you know, there are some questions around BBL season, that the men's BBL season, having been sort of thrown into a fair bit of chaos because of COVID, and them needing to have backup grounds. Uh, so I know that GMHBA stadium is one of those grounds whether it's just being you know somewhat prepared in case they need to do that after the aflw season or somewhere in the middle of it hopefully not but that's what looks like might you know may happen unfortunately
2: and i get that cricket's an important game to australia but these are our elite female athletes playing on what now looks like substandard pitches for football you it wouldn't it's not say a not good games, game is
1: it exactly yeah, yeah.
2: exactly
3: yeah. finish that sentence, Trace. <laughs> I was just going to say you wouldn't see a men's game, playing with a cricket uh, pitch still
0: intact. Yeah. There's probably yeah. one little twist maybe to put onto it, and I was chatting to uh, uh, Melissa House about it about uh, five or six years ago. We're going through at the moment, I think, an old Nino weather event, uh, but we've talked about it, with this being a summer competition and the obvious effects of climate change. We're playing a game that's meant for winter during summer, And as we hit to uh, uh, drier conditions, in fact, uh, somewhere in Australia hit the record of over 50 degrees this week, we're going to be on firmer ground that's going to be less watered and potential for, for a higher injury impact.
1: Yeah, look, I think you're right. And we did touch on it last week about these hard grounds. And, of course, none of us are scientists and know this for sure, but I think it's certainly a question to raise. I know also that um, one of our uh, friendly pod rivals had a couple of players on during the week who were talking, Aaron Phillips was one of them, talking about the timing of the season, and they were really in favour of an October start, so immediately after the AFLM finishes when weather obviously is a little bit friendly grounds are a little bit softer. Um, I know we've had this conversation many times over, and it will come up again because they probably haven't quite got the season right in terms of where it sits in the year. Uh, but, look, this issue with having now we've got several significant injuries to big players. We've got cricket pitches in the middle of it. It's 35 degrees. What happens when it's 45 degrees? You know, there are issues, no question.
2: They'll be kicking the ball in leather running shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Adidas, get onto it. I think they're called touch shoes. I don't you know what they were for touch footy. Yeah, pretty much it is, Yes.
0: Come on, we want to see the Dunlop volleys come out. Let's the volleys. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the umpiring. We talk about the players wanting to become more and more elites. It seems to be a bigger gap now between the players' eliteness and, and where we're at with the umpiring uh, for the AFLW and the pool of umpires that they have selected Um, a number of decisions throughout the week. I think the most obvious one for a lot of people that was talked about a lot on uh, Channel 7 was the Collingwood-St. Kilda game at Victoria Park, where the Saints were pinned for a deliberate rush behind, which allowed Collingwood a uh, a free kick on goal straight from the goal square. Replays would show not only did it not come off a St. Kilda player's hand, it (laughs) came off a Collingwood player's hand, Uh, you're allowed to deliberately rush behind if you're under pressure, and the Saints player had two players from Collingwood jumping all over them, going for the ball at the same time. Um, I guess, uh, A, what can be done? And B, the other incidents that were spotted during the week? we. Anyway, this is your bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: well, you know, it's funny. That particular one, straight away, I was like, hang on, Pies touched that. And that was just more to do with the way that Sarah Rowe swung her arms at the ball, was different to the way that the St Kilda player placed her arm. So she would not have got that trajectory had she had it connected with the football where Sarah Rowe actually hit it towards the goal. Um, but aside from that, you know, do we do we have a camera? Do we give them a goal review or does something come in in, in that kind of situation? If it was down to a single goal, they could have, you know, made or break a team for the season. Um, and, you know, my other question is, you know, for the last touch out of bounds between the arcs is... You know, we we saw in games on Sunday where in one instant it came off a player's chest and went out and she was penalised for out on the full. Then the next quarter, the opposition, same thing, came off a player in her upper body, went out over the sideline and was ruled a throw-in. So just a different distinction in the way the umpires are seeing how these rules are as well, perhaps, um and you know and then you know we can talk about the tackling it seems like there's a lot more whistles going on for some really solid firm tackles i don't think a lot of them being sling tackles that have been penalised i think they've yeah. been
3: firm yeah kiwi i think the i think the distinction so a couple of things from my observation yeah the last two rule, there does seem to be confusion um, especially if it's not clearly a contested um situation and where they're trying to decide who which team gets a free kick that's definitely been confusing today on a number of occasions I think the, the it's it's not just about a sling tackle because if it's considered a dangerous tackle is if your arms are pinned and you you going to hit your head um, so I think there were a number of those um, on a positive note I really like the consistency of the umpires that are holding the ball. This season, I really think that that has that does reward tackling. So from that point of view, I've I've noted that that's actually been really consistent. And you know, often used to be a lot of play on um, when the ball would spill out, you know, not not correctly or not disposed of correctly. Um, But it's actually being pinged now, so I like that. But I think the lasso rule is kind of dumb, isn't it? Like you know, and there there doesn't seem to be a clear doesn't seem to be clear among the umpiring group, um, especially if it's a bit iffy. You know, it's not clear if it was juggled or did someone last touch it and were they under pressure? There's too many, it's like there are too many variables, so they can't be consistent. Um, so if there were less variables and they made it somehow different or oh, just got rid of it, great. <laughs> And if I they got 18 it. players, that would also be great because <laughs> I then, wish we it. would actually have someone to kick to after everybody's running, you know, full ball down the field. Anyway, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs>
1: Yeah, look, I, I think uh, just quickly, my two cents on this, you know, I think the umpires too have been pretty consistent across the board. I've, I've been relatively happy with them this season. And, you know, I always like to take the approach of blaming systems rather than individuals. And I think in this instance, it's always like it is for the rest of AFLW, a resourcing issue is it? So itself. We have got concerns about umpires being inconsistent. Well, you know, look, if we funded them better, just as we funded players better and grounds and staff, you know, we'd have a better result wouldn't we so we'd attract the best very best umpires and so on and so forth and in saying that i still do believe the umpires are doing uh you know by and large a very very good job this season
3: i agree emma and i think that we've got to think about the impact of covid on them as well so we don't actually hear about any impacts on uh, health and safety protocol for umpires there may be umpires coming in for their you know we don't really hear those stories so um i think it's the benefit of the doubt but it just comes back to some of the interpretations of those rules which you know i don't think sometimes players even uh, understand completely i'm katie Lyons, and you're listening to the code hanger
0: Let's turn our attention to the games for round two. Uh, Obviously, we are a Sydney program, so we look at the GWS Giants first. And it's interesting to take away back from last week for GWS and Gold Coast. Both would end up playing at VU Witten Oval against WA sides. And both sides would have drastically different performances compared to last week's result. We begin with the Giants. They run into the buzzsaw that is from Mantle and uh, go down by about five goals.
3: Yeah, look, I think the GWS really showed some promise in the first quarter with a lot of pressure and even pressure inside their own forward 50. But Frio were just too good, too many, uh, took a lot more marks. Um, If you look across the board, a lot of the the high-performing teams are taking a lot more marks across the board, controlling the football a lot more. Um, Giants looked nervy when they are under pressure, especially in the second and third quarter. They dropped a lot of the footy, um, a lot of panic handballs. Um, and they, even though Alicia Eva battled super hard and they lost Beck Beeson, I think, you know, Frio across the board... Um, really look promising given that they didn't have Cara Antonio or Roxy Rue. I think, like, they are still a force. And um, I love Gemma Houghton and I hope that she kicks even straighter this season. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they do look good, Freo. I think they've been underrated, actually. I know they kind of their season faded out a bit um, last year, but uh, I think they have the goods and, and they certainly let GWS know today where they sit in that regard. Trace, I think you're right though about some questions around the capacity for the Giants players to handle the pressure. You know, and it really it came at them today and they they crumbled. I mean, they dropped really easy marks left, right, and center. Um, they were fumbly all over the ground, you know. And I think that that ability to pick up the ball clean and and find a target is really gonna set you know, separate the, the wheat from the chaff. So um, they're in strife in that way. I did like, I did though, on you know, a positive, really like Cora Staunton's first quarter. And especially after she, she kicked a couple and then got a mark, it was a good 45 meters out and instantly just pointed at the goal. <laughs> <I'm> going there.
3: <laughs> like, yeah. yeah and, and she had that one from the boundary too, where, I, you know, I, I love to see that she actually kicked a drop punt at that. But, yes. you know, I feel like that Cora's responsible almost for that, for the, the set-up sideways kick that the men now, you know, do prolifically, <laughs> I, I think she's actually responsible for that because there'd been Irish players, you know, since Jimmy Steins playing with the men and nobody had taken it on board, but all of a sudden the Staunton effect. Um, so I think... So with the Staunton I- kick, not the Staunton lick in your musical, world, Trace, but the Staunton <laughs> That's kick. That's right, correct. And I think the other thing about Cora is... I think it's a a really sound decision and I don't think it's based on her fitness or anything. I think it's based on her impact deep to play her deeper and not so high up the ground Mm. where, you know, she was notorious for trying to take on, I think it's the Gaelic thing, but trying to take on, you know, 100 players, got caught with the ball 700,000 times. Um, And, you know, we're not seeing that because she's getting, you know, she's leading, she's getting, you know, better ball fed to her so I think that that's impactful but you can't do it with one goal kicker you know and I think that they've they've got to stand up up forward still
2: yeah I think um I think Cora has really improved and and learned more about the game and I think that's starting to show and her coming you know further up the ground probably opens the space up for Privatelli. but then if you look at the other ones that they're slotting in and that half Forward line is you've got Catherine Smith, Katie Loins, Hanin Zrika, Nick Barr, like none of them are forwards. So, you know, you're not getting really good leading patterns, you're not really getting really good support up there that traditional forwards would sort of know where to position their bodies and things like that. And, you know, that shot that Cora had from 45 meters out. If Erin McKinnon had some real good footy outs, she could have just shepherded it through instead of trying to get a touch on it. Mm. So, you know, just little footy smarts like that can make a big difference. And then it was right after that, Frio came back and went, hey, you know what? We're going to kick some goals at this end of the field. And um, and I, I don't know if it's a coaching directive at Giants, but it looked like the backline won a lot of balls in the first quarter because they were playing in front and then for some reason it looked like they switched and started to play behind and they were just outmarked you know outled to the football Um, and it really I think highlighted some of their lack of speed across the Giants backline.
3: Great Kiwi I think there's a a real lack of speed across there and I think to you know, you look at the, the different pressure and the perceived pressure that was created by Frio compared in, to, the, to the game against the Gold Coast the previous week, you know, and, and someone with the likes of Haneen, you know, who, who works tirelessly, but, it, you know, in the Gold Coast match, she was able to find some space and, and get those disposals. And she was, you know, the sort of heat that Frio bring um, I'm not sure that there's a couple of players there that just aren't quite up to that, the decision making and the cleanness in that heat.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. It's just, yeah, that real, real footy smarts that you can make a decision so quick and clean and nowhere. like, you know, at one point you had a free kick. And she went back into trouble instead of – there was a switch across the field, like open the game up, take take the ball. Yeah, they on. kept going
3: back long, back long. And, um, you know, once Freo got running, that's where they're dangerous. So, yeah. Peter, can we talk about another game?
0: <laughs> Indeed we can. Since you were talking about forwards, the notes that uh, Fee has done simply says, Perco For the Gold Coast <laughs> v. West Coast game. And, and may I say, I think – For most of the game, we thought, okay, typical Gold Coast. They're going to push the opponent for a bit and then they're going to fall apart. Uh, Instead, Emma Phillips, we have a Gold Coast Suns win the first time in over 600 days. 600 days, is
3: it? No, 672. 672. 672. They won a couple couple in their first season and then... Nothing last so, year. So
1: big-time celebration for them today, super effort. And considering that they – so there were four goals kicked in the entire match. That's the grand combined title of both teams up until three-quarter time. And then there were eight <laughs> goals kicked in the final term. So any footy fans out there that haven't seen this match and think, oh, Gold Coast, West Coast, maybe not, definitely watch that last quarter. It is a ripper. And we need to talk about um, Tara Bohanna and her th- – Three goals in the last quarter. What a superstar. Um, and Robotom. I know you want to talk about Robotom Kiwi because you're such a fan, but she's really just coming into her own now, isn't she? Um, apparently the Gold Coast chant was going around Witten Oval. So who would have thought that would come to Footscray? But there we are. What a game.
2: Oh, look, you know, in 2020, they showed some real promise in the style of that, you know, in the way they went about their game. And I remember them coming to um, take on North at Arden Street, and they really put the sword to North. And it was like, yahoo, you know, we've got another team from Queensland that's going to play some really good quality football to get behind them. And then it just all crumbled last year and just nothing really came out of them. And I think today that they had a patch of last year's form, and then they had a patch of what they showed previous, and then I think showed more of what they're gonna do because I think their list this year they've really recruited some some key players with experience, and um, you know like they've got Vivian Saad and Sad in there as well who. I thought she was really good. She was put under a lot of pressure in that back line and just kept repelling stuff. And, you know, North used her as a ruck. She's not particularly tall, but she can get about the field. Um, I thought, you know, it was really good to see Charlie start to assert her presence through the midfield. Um, And then Perko, the work that Perko did in supporting those other forwards, you know, they just all worked together. They didn't look like they were goal-hungry they would just look like they were there to perform as a team, which I think makes a bit of a difference. And, you know, for um, all of you know, probably halfway through that last quarter, Eagles, I think, you know, hung up their boots. They, you know, thought the game was in the bag and they kicked three in a row and it was all theirs to, um, to be had. And, and Gold Coast went, uh, no, we're not here for a week. Uh, we're not here for a month on holiday. We're, we're down to get some points. So, um, yeah. yeah, what a, what a ripper game.
3: They showed real metal Kiwi. The other one that I was really impressed with was Jackie DuPay. Um, and I yeah. think she, she the, the thing about Gold Coast is they've got some real size across the lines um, and and mobile size. So I think that's really good. And Graves Little, they were awesome. Um, the, the pace they have um, really helps drive that ball forward. So I don't know. I mean, they take on Brisbane next week and, um <laughs> You know, will Brisbane be COVID recovered and will the Gold Coast be hungry? So, yeah. But it was a good game, wasn't it? I really enjoyed the last quarter. I'm with you. Um, em, have a look at it if you if you hadn't watched it because uh, we started kicking goals and the games opened up and you started to see some real run and some better ball use. It was really good.
0: The other game we need to talk about was the inaugural Presparkus Cup that was decided uh, two days out. Um, originally, it was going to be Geelong Western Bulldogs and Carlton and the Brisbane Lions. Because of the COVID impact on the Bulldogs and the Lions, the AFL decided to make the matchup between the Cats and the Blues at Cadinia Park. From a team perspective, Maddie got the chocolates, Carlton beating Geelong, but Emma from a Fantasy football perspective, according to She Plays AFL, the chocolates went with Georgie, 132 to 119 fantasy points.
1: Is that right? I did not know that. Yes. I'm sure that, that Maddie would have had bragging rights at home, though. I'm sure that, the, you know, <laughs> she's got it written up on the fridge. <laughs> uh, what a joy it is to see those sisters play against each other, isn't it? And there's been so much hype around both of them um, for the, over the past few years for very good reason. They are exceptional footballers. And, uh, you know, look, you can see the both of them at some point sharing a best and fairest award, can't you, down the track? So. Very nice. We should really put the Press Barker's Cup as a a genuine article up there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think there was about four um, P versus P one-on-one situations in the game that Georgia came out on top of Maddie, whether she fainted on the inside and got away or broke a tackle or got the handballs off. Um, So despite the overall team performance, I think Georgie may have some some, – wickets over, over Maddie in that situation, although Maddie's claiming that she um, took Georgia out and, and nearly broke her nose. She's claiming... No, nah, but won't. I think that was, that was Cairns, wasn't it? It came in... Yeah, it, in was, yeah, it was. It was a teammate. But Maddie's claiming it.
3: I <laughs> <laughs> don't think it had anything to do with Maddie, if you have a look at the footage. Um, it was a hip or a, a piece of hip or shoulder of Cairns came in to help with that tackle. So, Yeah. But, yeah. Um,
2: but even aside from the two Prosparcus sisters in that game... What an outstanding game between Carlton and Geelong. Like, I thought mm. Geelong really played some open, expansive football. And, um, you know, it has to be mentioned, Claudia Konjaka, who has played a year in Sydney for UTS Bats, I thought she was really phenomenal in only a second a, for a W game. I thought she was outstanding for Geelong.
1: Kerry, I've got issue with this.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I keep everywhere I
1: look. I hear about how great Geelong is, and they've got these superstar lineup. And you know, I think Geelong were picked; they were the favourite picked by the massive people in the tipping competition over Carlton. And I'm staggered. I went through I went through Geelong season last year and this year. They're averaging two goals a game over eleven games of football. Eleven games of now they're very good defensively, and they will they, they you know they lead in many respects and in-your-face footy and and good defensive setups. But to what end? if you can't kick goals. And I know I bash on about this and we know it won't be the last time, but please, I want to see some goals from Geelong. I must be driving their forwards, Batty.
2: I agree, Em. I think, you know, for all the good that they did, where Carlton beat them was just their Geelong's inside 50s were too shallow. And if they got in deeper, they were dropping marks. They just, you know, weren't always able to hit up their, um, you know, Phoebe, who's playing down deep in there. Just that... And, and that's been, I think, the problem since they've started playing AFRW is just getting that ball in so they can take a clean mark. You know, if it wasn't for Amy McDonald's little evasive type of runs that she has, I think, you know, Geelong would have struggled to even keep in the game on the scoreboard. Yeah, yeah. and I
3: think you just can't – you can't just rely on a single Cora Staunton or a Phoebe Williams. Yeah. You cannot rely on one – forward in a game of 16 players where people are up and down the ground. You've got to be able to get up, come back. You've got to get a structure going. Um, and I think, you know, you need multiple forwards kicking goals. And Geelong, as you said, em, just haven't kicked enough goals to win games. You, you can't win games without kicking goals. It's the obvious thing. <laughs>
0: And just quickly, the final note in that game, um, if you listen to Essendon supporters, it'll be the one and only Press Parkers Cup after they come in (laughs) to swoop on both of them in the expansion signings.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I did hear the commentators say something about uh, how many years do you think it'll take before we see the two of them playing side by side? And I'm like... Do you not know anything? Like Essendon are coming in. They're Essendon fans. They live in the area. Like I,
0: I've, I've that dis- would be
2: the first phone call you'd make as I, a coach at Essendon.
0: I've discovered Maddie's an Essendon fan, but Georgie was actually a Collingwood supporter.
2: Mm, oh, that's, that's
1: tragic. Controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Natty P. Morgan as Trace says that. Oh,
3: yeah, sorry, Nat. <laughs> Miss you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just quickly um, from you all, what was the other standout game for you through round two of the AFLW? Well,
3: Friday night, Peter, Friday night. Um, the the game was great. It was a, such a high-quality game, really great ball use. I've got to say, Alyssa Bannon, wow. You know, <laughs> she just blew my mind. Um, but, yeah, no, I just I thought Friday night's game, as predicted, Um you know the Tigers are really showing some promise. I think they they've got their confidence up, and I think they'll keep coming.
2: You know, I spoke earlier um, about earlier this year about Tigers how they're gonna be a lot different looking, and they've got a better list. I think they showed on Friday night when they had, I think it was three players out because of the the new code of health, COVID health and safety rules, but they were still able to bring in some real quality players that took it to. You know, Demons are quality side. And I know they had a couple out affected by the same thing. But, you know, everyone's touting them as being premiership favourites. But quality game. And, you know, I think Tigers have now created a bit of depth through their list and some really good key players. And just the way that they're connecting on the field, just some of their handball rhythms and their, you know, their chain of um, transition from defence to attack is um, high quality. And, boy, what an exciting game to watch. And it was a sellout crowd too. I know we might say it was only 2,000, but that is a sellout under current COVID rules and punt road rules.
1: I'm not going to add to those comments. I think you both covered that game really well. Very good stuff from Richmond. Melbourne dominated with their, uh, you know, their marking power, I think, mostly controlling the footy. But the highlight for me this round, and it pains me to say this, but Ashley Woodland from the Adelaide (laughs) Crows against my mob, the Roos, Just dominated and was possibly the difference at the end of the day with a 13-point win. She has now kicked four goals in each of the first two matches. And I think if I've got this correct, she's the first player to kick eight goals across the first two rounds in AFLW, so the leading the most across two rounds, if that makes sense. Um, But just aside from her goal scoring, her aerial work was outstanding, young, confident player and absolutely a forward to watch.
2: And that one-handed mark.
3: Oh,
1: can't yeah, keep be more casual. About it. <laughs>
2: Adelaide took 78
3: marks in that game. I mean, yeah. the, you know, the, the next highest, I think, from any game was 50. So, you know, their, their kind of ball use um, and clean ball use is still, you know, really quite good. Melbourne only took 50 in their game against the Tigers. But, you know, the, what's that got to do with the defensive pressure that they're under, et cetera, et cetera. But just interesting to note Um that you know the the teams that took the most marks, you know this this round were Adelaide, Carlton, Melbourne, and Fremantle. Um, kind of, but it's yeah. an interesting
0: Carlton win. And just wrapping that up, someone for the love of God, please tell me that there's a documentary crew following the Adelaide Crows because this has last dance vibes about it. They know they're <laughs> going to get broken up with Port Adelaide coming in for the next season. It just feels like they all know this is the last go together. All the chips are on the table.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong, Peter. They've got a real hunger about the Adelaide, haven't they? You know, they shouldn't have, given how much success they've had, but here we are. They are looking the goods.
2: And bouncing back burnt. You know, when you lose a grand final, you tend to come back a little burnt and a little bit hungry too. So, um, yeah, there's a a lot of meat in their hunger, isn't there?
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's take a look at the tipping competition after AFLW round two. Uh, Tracy, who is on top?
3: Well, it, the, the, this week the leaderboard jumped around during the games, um, but uh, Tiff is still on top um, <laughs> after the final uh, siren of the, the last game. In fact, the top seven people are on the same 13, uh, 13 wins or 13 selections. Um, so uh, top five, Tiff, Mary, who was there last time, Natty P, shout out to you. <laughs> Philip, anyone know Philip? And uh, someone called Emma Phillips, number five. Um, (laughs) So I don't know who she is, but she must be all right. Um, Look, I can only talk about my own personal tipping quest, which, you know, took a dive, I've got to say, this week. But um, (laughs) I've decided that uh, I think Fee said this week that she's tipping with her heart. And I, I, I know in my heart of hearts not to pick certain teams, but I can't help myself. I'm like, I want you to win. So I will will you over the line. But no, the tipping comp's going great. We've got seven in contention on 13 and then a string of others on 12 and 11. So let's see what happens next week.
1: Trace, I feel like every year we have to unpack your difficulties with your own tipping
3: system.
0: <laughs>
1: I know Are we at the point of needing to get a therapist in? Let's get a therapist in for you to work
3: out your tipping, can we? I think that's a good idea and that's probably why I didn't report on the tipping last year. But, you know, look, I promise not to mention myself next week. <laughs>
2: When I do. Unless I get all of them right. You <laughs> might jump up the um, positions on the ladder. Oh, and I've got a shout-out to Claire
3: and Emma Phillips, who both got seven. Yeah, hey, I was waiting for that. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> well done. But one of the games was, wasn't on, so he actually got six. But we'll the Chipping pump, call bought seven. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's official. <laughs>
0: Let's take a look at uh, round three action of the AFLW. Now, on paper, it looks like that every game is going to be one-sided, and it's interesting that after two rounds, we still haven't had a game that's been decided by less than a kick. There is one game that seems to pique interest, and I want to ask everyone, how do you think it will go? It'll be up in Queensland. It'll be the Brisbane Lions, who've had a week off due to health and safety protocols. Up against their rival, the Gold Coast Suns, who are now very buoyant after beating West Coast.
1: Trace, this is the one for you, the Queensland
0: mob.
3: <laughs> yeah, so well, you know, I think I think you're right, Peter. I think it really before you wouldn't have really considered Gold Coast to be competitive. Um, but they're full of confidence. And, you know, what can they bring and and what sort of team will Brisbane bring out and what will What will their vibe be? I mean, I think they'll be super hungry to get a win on the board, their last year's premiers, and they're currently sitting there at at zero and a game behind everybody else. So I can't see them – I really can't see them collapsing under the pressure of the Gold Coast, but I think the Gold Coast will give it a red hot shot. I've got a couple of other games I reckon will be good games, so.
0: Well, I was about to say – I'm going to put the hit on first by saying you've all got $20 in your pocket. You can only buy a ticket to go see one game. So, out of the matchups that we have, what is your number one priority game that you want to see?
2: Frio and Tigers for me. Yeah, I reckon that'll be a really cracking match. And um, you know, it's it's Frio a week together, coming off a pretty solid win um, against Tigers, who's showing pretty. You know, quite a bit of promise, but didn't get the points last week. So, um, you know, if if you want to have a quality match going into a tough match, you want to be playing against the demons, and I think that's the best prep that Tigers have had. And um, yeah, I agree with Tracey's. I'll spend my twenty bucks at Punt Road.
1: My twenty is going on the doggies v Carlton. Not necessarily too high flying outfits, but I think looking for that match that is going to be decided by less than a goal. That's the one. Give me a match like that any day. So looking forward to that one.
3: Well, you are doing well
1: at the tipping, so you might be right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tracy. Kitt.
0: And since you mentioned Doggies v Carlton, it is also the Pride game and Carlton have announced that they're selling online at this very moment. their are Pride jumpers for 2022 for those that would like to take a look and uh, purchase those. But, Tracy, you said you've got the shopping list out. What else are you looking at for round three?
3: Well, no, that was my shopping list. So okay. Freo Tigers, Bulldogs, Carlton and, and Brisbane and Gold Coast. I, I do think the others, um, you know, the other sides are going to be, I think, uneven. The games, I think they're fairly predictable for tipping as long as you don't tip with your heart. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the, the sides that are not probably going to be the favourites will hang in the games for the first half and then they'll open up in the second half. I think that we're seeing that. More and more, and some of the sides, the lesser well performing sides, uh, have been able to manage to go toe to toe with some of the teams. So I think, you know, I think there'll still be good matches.
0: And before we let everyone go, uh, I need a case of you've got to show me something. What side at the moment, it doesn't necessarily have to be a win on the weekend, at least a quality performance where they push their opponent. What side has to show you something?
1: Oh, the Giants. It's got to be the Giants, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it's got I to be I think they've got
1: a tough one against North Melbourne at Arden Street. But, uh, you know, they've, they've sort of set up camp in Melbourne now for a little while. Hopefully they've settled. They've just got to come to the party now.
2: I think they've got some really quality, experienced players. And Arden Street, I don't know, it feels like a bit more of a smaller, compact oval that may suit... The way the Giants play, they don't get exposed on the outside with their you know, lack of speed or lack of pace by some key players. And that may, you know, if they're clever, that they could work that in their favour to really counter some of the attack that North have.
0: Well, like Novak Djokovic, it's time for us to get out of here. It's been a pleasure <laughs> having your company on 2 Ser 107.3 FM for the Coat Hanger Footy Show. Emma Phillips, Tracy Kick and Lisa, Coach Kiwi Roper, thanks again for your company this week.
2: Pleasure is all ours, Pete.